I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be who it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I better not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that our word was given to us by a good father. That today as we celebrate Father's Day, Lord God, we celebrate you. You're the the example. You're the standard bearer. You're the one that has led us and guided us and ever-present help in time of trouble. Father, we come today and we say, Lord, help us to be like you. I pray, Lord God, that Father, even as we as we come in and sit under your word, that we won't be the same, but we'll change, that something, Lord, will shift in us, Lord, by your spirit. And I pray, God, that you would wear me like a glove. That, Father, you'd be the substance of everything that's said and that, God, people will hear your voice beyond my own, Lord God, in the deep recesses of their hearts. They will know today that the Lord spoke to them. We promise to give you the praise. We promise to give you the glory, to give you the honor. In Jesus' name, and everyone say, Amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. This is Father's Day. Man. Woo! I'm really glad that we did it up big. Because, uh, like someone said earlier, uh, Pastor Polo said, oftentimes we celebrate Mother's Day huge. And then Father's Day like really small. It's almost like I saw this saying on a wall one day at a restaurant. It said, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. When papa's not happy, nobody cares. (laughs) That's not good. Someone said, that's not good. That's not good. You know, before my dad and I met Jesus, uh, things were a little awkward in our relationship. I didn't grow up in a Christian home, many of you know. My dad used to smoke weed in the day and produce music at night. Sounds like a dream job for some of you. (laughs) And while I was out of school, during the summers, he was out of the country, touring the world. And so while I understood intellectually why, you know, he was paying bills and he was, you know, working hard. Emotionally, I was confused. Emotionally, I was conflicted. And as a result, I didn't have much of a relationship with him. During my teen years especially, things got very strange and very strained and very awkward. I knew he loved me, but I didn't know if he knew me. I felt like he loved the concept of a son. But I didn't know if he knew me enough to love me. 
for who I was. So I became a Christian and went to college. And that first Christmas, I couldn't afford to fly back home. So I spent the Christmas with my dorm mate, a guy named Mike. And uh, Mike lives in Edmonton, Alberta. Now, how many of you know where Edmonton, Alberta is? Let me see. Yep. Okay. That's about 10% of you. It's okay. It's in another country. <laughs> it's in Canada. And um, Edmonton, Alberta. The, the reason why you don't know Edmonton really is because it is cold up there. It is nothing like Texas. It is snow. All oh, I mean, like it's snow. And so we, we go to Mike's house and it's Christmas. And Mike's dad, his name is Morris. And you know, Morris, his family, they're Christians, right? I grew up non-Christian. And this was my first up-close look at a Christian family. This was my first up-close look at a Christian father. So Morris would come home and he'd work all day in the cold. And he was tired, he'd take his boots off, his jacket off, he'd do that. And then he'd sit down around this table that they had in the middle of the living room that had a 2,500 piece puzzle on it. And every Christmas they would buy this puzzle and put it on the table. And they would try to finish the puzzle before Christmas. That was their thing. And so he'd sit down and he'd be looking at these pieces and we'd be working on the pieces and the conversations would just start. And they'd just start talking. And there'd be this conversation. And I'd be sitting down watching this, this dance happen. And I'm thinking, why are they telling him that? <laughs> He's their father. Aren't they scared? No. So they're just talking. They're only... And then, then, then we'd have dinner together. And, and then after that, we'd play some silly little game and then Morris would go to sleep. He'd get out for the night. And it was this, there was this thing that hit me. I was there for two weeks. And every day this would happen. And I thought to myself, man, that's the kind of dad I want to be. That's the kind of... You see, that was the first time I ever saw an example of a father that was engaged. A father that was there. A father that was present and that experience changed the way I saw fatherhood so today I want to speak to you about the benefits of present the benefits of being present the benefits of being present if you're a parent especially a father God wants to encourage you today and I, I believe that God really wants to, 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 to let you understand just how much your presence means and how you can make your presence felt. Are you with me? If you're not a father, that's okay because this message is for you too. Because so many of us grew up like me where our fathers weren't present. I believe God wants to encourage you too. Amen. 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 If you're a mother... This message is for you as well. So just every time I say father, just put mother there for you, okay? Amen. Uh, God chose father as his own title. Think about this. And conveys it upon man. This is what Miles Monroe said. If God chose father as his own title and conveys it upon man, then it must be the highest title, designation, and honor that any human can have. 
Man, if you're a father, you realize that you walk under the mantle of what God called himself. How many of you know not everyone who fathers a child is a father? How many of you know it's easier to be a daddy than a father? Just because you have a child doesn't make you a father. The Greek word for father is pater. And it means one who imparts life and is committed to it. Think about that. One who imparts life and is committed to the life he imparts. Pater refers to a begetter, originator, progenitor. One in intimate connection and relationship. The Hebrew word for father is ab. And that word means source. It means sustainer. It means supporter. It means protector. I'm going to make, to make a very, very tough statement. And I want you to just, just receive this and walk with me through this. You, you cannot be a father unless you're willing to sustain that which comes out of you. You cannot be a father unless you are willing to sustain that which comes out of you. See, a father is one who produces and then sustains what's produced. And in order for you to sustain what you produce, you must be engaged in the development of what you produce. And that requires your presence. You cannot develop what you produce if you're not present, if you're not there. So, I want to encourage you today about the benefits of being present. Number one, first of all, a father's presence is more valuable than his presence. A father's P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E is more valuable than his P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. Right? For most of us, I'll tell you this, for most of us it's easier to see progress when we're talking about our paychecks and we're talking about our promotions at work. But... It's what we do at home that really makes a difference in life. We so much times, I've met so many fathers and I see this happening. There's a temptation oftentimes for us to spend more time at work than we do at home. There's a temptation a lot because especially if you're a driven person, especially if you're a leader, it's, it's, it's a natural part of us to want to feel progressive, to want to feel like we're moving on, to want to feel like we're doing better. And the way to measure that oftentimes is easier with our paychecks and our promotions. It's easier to do that sometimes with our possessions than with our presence at home. And because of that, we find that work and home tend to uh, fight for our time. They tend to compete for our time. You can never spend enough time at work, and you can never spend enough time at home. Everybody wants more of your time. And so we are left with a dilemma. And the dilemma is this. No matter what you choose, work or home, somebody's going to feel cheated. Somebody's going to feel like you gave them the short end of the stick. Somebody's going to feel like you've, you've uh, given up your responsibility for something else. 
And a lot of times what we end up doing is cheating home and buying gifts to assuage the home life while we spend more time at work and say, hey, because of the money, it's why we're doing it for home. In fact, when I was younger um, and I, you know, went to church and stuff, this is what they used to tell us as volunteers. They used to say this, if you take care of God's house, He'll take care of yours. So serve here. Don't worry about going home early. Serve as long as it takes. Don't worry about your family. Serve Because if you take care of God's family, if you take care of God's wife, He'll take care of yours. <coughs> it ain't true. I said it's not true. It's not true. Here's what Jesus says. I will build my church. You go take care of your wife. I will build my church. You take care of your wife. That's why here at Word of Truth, in our membership class, you know what the first thing we do? We teach people priorities. And one of the priorities we teach them is this. God first, your family second, your job third, and your ministry fourth. Hmm. Some of us didn't come from churches like that. But what we're trying to do is help you to understand that there's a priority about putting your family ahead of your job, ahead of your ministry. You see, we have to maintain a heart for home and not just a head for money. Come on, men. Men, we need to maintain a heart for home and not just a head for money. You see, at some point, somebody's going to get cheated. And let me tell you how you know which one should be your priority. They can always find somebody else to work your job, but your children can't find somebody else to be their father. That's how you determine which one you need to cheat. (laughs) See, sometimes we think that children spell love, G-I-F-T, But the truth is, children spell love, T-I-M-E. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. Your presence is more valuable to them than your presence. And you might not have much time to give, but can I tell you something? Some is better than none. Listen to me. If you are a parent here today, if you're a father... I'm telling you this, even if you don't have much time, even if your child doesn't live with you, some is better than none. I don't want you to feel pressure that you have to create time that doesn't exist. I want you to understand that whatever time you can give, give it. I understand. I come home. I want to watch the news rather than listen to third grade news. But every time I come home, my eight-year-old thinks that it's because of her why I'm there. Something inside of her says, Daddy, I know you came to see me. I don't want, I want to rest. I want to hear about things that are really happening. I don't want to hear about what Emily is doing. And I don't want to hear about that. But you know what? She's measuring my love by my, by my time. 
by my time. So you guys, you, I, I, I've come to this revelation. If I choose to spend time with my kids now, they'll choose to spend time with me when I'm older. Oh, come on, man. i tell you something. I, I love that. Amen. I have chosen to spend time now so they can choose to spend time later. Because one day they'll have a choice. I hear people say, man, my, my kids never call me. I wonder how much conversation you had with them while they were living with you. That wasn't about instruction. That was, I don't want to go down that road. That's going to take too long. So let's move on. Three benefits to being present. Number one, being present provides acceptance. Somebody say acceptance. Acceptance. Just being present provides acceptance. Nothing is more important to a child than acceptance by a father. No matter how old that child is. No matter how old that child is. Rejection by fathers is the number one thing I end up counseling people about. Rejection from fathers. Young, old. When I was a youth pastor, man, we used to do these camps. And every time at these camps, we'd have these altar calls, people come up, all these kids would come up. And you know what the number one issue was? Man, relationship with fathers. Relationship with fathers. Uh, my dad called me this morning. And, um, you know, hey, happy fathers, happy fathers, you know. So we're chatting for a while. So I said, you know, hey, I'm going to church, I'm going to preach. He said, oh, that's, that's good. He says, I'm going to this event that I'm putting on, you know, with some other people and stuff. I said, yeah, what is it? We have 4,000 fatherless children coming to this, to the arena. This is a national arena. This is our, our, our big indoor kind of stadium in Jamaica. 4,000 young men who are fatherless are going to be there. And we're treating them. And we have the, the army coming in to talk to them about, hey, you know what? You can be in the armed forces. <laughs> Not forces. We only have the army. We don't have anything else. So just, the army, right? And then they have, they have these other people coming in to give these guys hope and vision. You know why? Because fathers are the ones that provide hope and vision to their families. And these guys have none. There is something that's going to happen between those young men when they see these men reaching out to them. And it's this thing, it's called acceptance. People need acceptance. And fathers, when you're there, it, it brings that. I realize that when fathers are absent or uninvolved or unemotional it communicates rejection to the kid even if it has nothing to do with the kid even if it has nothing to do with the kid why because children think differently than many of us children are very self-focused very really very strong sense of self the world revolves around them and so therefore they don't really see all these other things that we're dealing with they only see us that's why a child will blame themselves for their parents' divorce. And so they walk when a, when a father doesn't turn up, or a father is uninvolved, or a fa- they think it's because they don't like me. Not because the father has other things to do. And so one of the things that I have to do oftentimes is I come home and I have to put my cell phone away. 
Because every time that... Do you know that cell phone intrudes on our life in such a way that I, I, it's, it's crazy how much... I, I was talking to my daughter yesterday, my older one. She's 18 years old. And she says, you know what's different? She says, I'm working on this job that we can't use our cell phone at the job. And you know what I've experienced? I've never experienced this before. I said, what? She said, awkward silence. She says, nobody in my generation knows how to deal with awkward silence. Because once it starts getting awkward, we just pull out our cell phones. I have to make sure that the cell phone is away so that my children have face-to-face personal presence time with me. I love the story of the, the prodigal son. The prodigal son, you remember him? He's the guy that went to his father and said, Hey, dad, I wish you were dead right now. Pretty much. He said to him, Hey, give me the portion of the money that belongs to me that like, you were going to give me once you died. So basically, we're saying, Hey, dad, I wish you were dead right now so I could get what belongs to me. So his father said, Fine, here. And he gives it to him. And he runs off and he gets in trouble. And then he starts... He said, the Bible says, he claimed to himself. When he came to himself, here's what he said in uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 17. He says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Next verse says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now stop there for a second. If my son had said to me, Hey, I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And he left. And he got in trouble. And then he wanted to come back. Man, he would drive up in that car. And if I were outside, I'd say, go talk to your mother. Right? Many of us, that's how we would be, right? Many of us would be like, look, hey, look, I don't even want to hear anything from you. You know, right now, I am so upset with you. I don't even want to hear anything. Well, here's the father's response. Acceptance, acceptance, acceptance. This is powerful. Because acceptance is a foundational aspect of love. You cannot love what you don't accept. You cannot love what you don't accept. Whether that's yourself, whether that's your spouse, whether that's your children. If you don't accept what God has put in your life, you cannot love that thing to the degree that it needs love. And people live their entire lives, their entire lives struggling with their father relationship because in their hearts they felt rejected. I sit down with people sometimes and say, man, I just want my father to be proud of me. Or say, I want to prove to my father that I could do it without him. Or maybe you had an absentee father. 
I'm here to tell you that God knows your name. He knows who you are. And He wants to be your Father. He's a good Father. He's a good Father. Psalm 27.10 says this, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Hallelujah. See, my relationship with my dad turned around when I met Jesus. It was, it was through that relationship that I learned to forgive and to accept him. And that's tough. That's tough. It's, it's tough to understand, you know, why should I let him off the hook? Why should I not blame him for what he did? But I realized something as I, as I came to know Jesus. I realized that there's a difference between blame and responsibility. There's a difference between fault and responsibility. There's a difference between who's to blame and who's responsible. And here's what I understood. That my father may have been the one to blame for my hurt. But I'm the one responsible for my healing. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said, he may have been to blame for the hurt. But I'm the one responsible for my healing. I can't leave it up to him to get me healed. I've got to get healing for me. Because I wanted to be a good, good father too. And the only way for me to do that was to release, was to forgive, was to seek my own healing. And that only came through Jesus. I recognize this, that if God unconditionally loved me, then He gave me the power to unconditionally love others, including my Father. Because Jesus said, Freely you have received, freely give. I didn't earn God's love. Oh my God, this is good right here. I didn't earn God's love. I didn't have to earn His love. He didn't tell me, man, if you do this and do that and do that, then you'll be loved by me. He didn't give me a performance schedule. I didn't go through some kind of checklist. I didn't have a test, personality test, gifting test. I didn't do any of that to earn God's love. He gave me His love freely. And if I didn't earn it, then who am I? To let anybody else earn it. If I could freely receive his unconditional love. Then I can freely give his unconditional love. My healing is my responsibility. And so I went to Jesus and I said, God, now that I know you. Now that I know you. Now that I know you. You know the hurts. You know the pain. You know the stuff I've been through. You understand this man is a weed smoker. Ah! <laughs> In that moment, the grace to forgive fell on my heart. And here's what it did. It not only healed me, it healed our relationship. My father came to know Jesus. And then both of us got really tight. And so now he calls me on Father's Day. Hallelujah. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for Jesus. Amen. 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 Number two. 
The first thing is, you know, being present provides acceptance. Here's the second thing. Being present provides discipline. Somebody said discipline. Discipline. No, discipline is not punishment, gentlemen. Discipline is not punishment. Can I get an amen? Some of you think you were disciplined when you were kids and you are punished. And you know the difference. Because when you look back, you go, man, that wasn't right. That wasn't right. That wasn't right. Amen. You know, like when they told you to go outside and cut your own switch. Hey, anybody had that? Amen. Uh-huh. Or anything that the hand could find flew towards your head. Um, here's the difference. Punishment is payback. Discipline is training. Punishment is payback. Discipline is training. In other words, one is focused on your feelings as a parent, while the other is focused on their behavior as a child. If you are doing what you're doing out of your feelings, it's probably punishment. If you're doing what you're doing to correct and redirect behavior, then it's probably discipline. The Bible says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Not punish the child in the way he should go. Train. Someone say train. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. Healthy acceptance means I accept you for who you are, but I don't accept everything you do. You see, a lot of times we think acceptance means accepting behavior. No, acceptance has to do with the person. Discipline has to do with the behavior. It it, it separates their who from their do. And if you don't separate their who from their do, then they'll always think they have to perform in order to be accepted. Amen. Thank you for that one clap over there. That was awesome. I really love that. I receive that. (laughs) Both acceptance and discipline are critical to your parenting. Both are critical. Here's why. Acceptance without discipline produces failure. If a child grows up only being accepted and never being disciplined, they'll never allow themselves to succeed because they don't understand consequences and when you don't understand consequences you are headed for disaster and thank you again for that one clapper I'm going I'm to bring you up front <laughs> Woo, thank you here's, here's the other side though discipline without acceptance produces frustration Because that child feels like they can never do anything right. One child feels, I never do anything wrong. The other child feels like, I can never do anything right. Right? Discipline is clearly communicating those boundaries. And establishing consequences for breaking boundaries. That's what discipline is. Uh, I was speaking to a guy the other day, a friend of mine. And he was telling me just how frustrated he gets with his kids. He has little kids and he gets so frustrated and he just can't handle it because these kids... And I'm talking about kids. One was like five, one was three, one just born, right? And I'm like, man. So I said to him, Here, here's, I said, here's the secret to discipline, my friend. I said, be firm without getting angry. Be firm without anger. Be firm without getting angry. I said, listen, 
Have you ever gotten stopped by a policeman for speeding? So he says, yeah. I said, did he shout at you because you were going too fast? He said, no, he was actually quite nice and kind. Hello, sir. I just know he's there. Da, da, da. He says, that's right. You know why? Because he knows he has authority. And he knows that you know the boundaries. And he knows that you broke the boundaries. So he don't have to get emotional about it. You would, you would be wondering, why is the policeman... What is wrong with you? Why are you driving so fast? Get, get, what? You know, I'm going to write you a ticket right now. Don't you ever do that again. Policemen don't do that. Police officers don't do that. Why? They're in charge. Hey? See you speeding. What's your name? Yeah. Driver's license. See you in court. That's it, baby. Guess what? Break the, 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 uh, break the boundary. Reap the consequence. That's it. That's discipline. Guess what you do next time you're on that road? <laughs> Your behavior has changed. <laughs> you don't think the policeman hates you, loves you. You don't associate it at all with you. You just know it's about your behavior. That's discipline. And here's the thing about discipline. Discipline is really rooted in the world disciple. And a disciple is one who imitates their teacher. Therefore, a critical part of discipline is actually mentoring and modeling. You can't mentor and model if you're not present. Come on now. If your child wants to know how to handle authority, let them see how you talk to that policeman when he stopped you for speeding. Because if you start shouting, then he goes, oh, that's what I need to do to daddy. Yes, Lord. <laughs> Being present. Being present produces acceptance. Being present produces this discipline. Being present provides comfort. Someone say comfort. Comfort. I know we don't use this word a lot when it comes to dads. We tend to think about comfort as, you know, a mom thing. But dads, can I tell you something? When you were a kid at school, one of the things you used to tell your friends is, my daddy is bigger than your daddy. My dad has a bigger car than your dad. My dad is... You know, my children never said that about me though. <laughs> These things like, uh, my dad is nicer than your daddy. <laughs> there wasn't much comfort in that. <laughs> An engaged father provides emotional comfort for his kids. One of the questions I ask people when they come to visit me at, at, in a counseling session is, um, who gave you comfort when you were growing up? Who gave you comfort when you were growing up? Who comforted you when you broke up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Who comforted you when you were being bullied at school? Who comforted you when you felt the teacher gave you uh, was unfair to you? 
Who comforted you when you were embarrassed? You see, men tend to be good at comforting when it's something physical. Kid got hurt on the bicycle or something like that. Well, some of us are. Some of us are just, brush it off, come on, you get it. You know, get up, you're a big boy. (laughs) But, But emotionally... Who comforted you when you were growing up? And most times, people say this to me. This is really true. Listen to this. Most times, people say, I comforted myself. Because oftentimes, my parents didn't have time to listen to my little story, to what such and such said about me at school. Or they minimized it and said, that's not a big deal. Because their problems were so much bigger. Sometimes we grow up in homes where our parents have so much going on in their own lives. There's so much going on. There's, there, there, there's hurt in their own lives. And they're passing on hurt from generation to generation. And pain from generation to generation. That when we are kids, they don't even have time to attend to our emotions. Because theirs are so broken themselves. Who comforted you as a kid? You see, being truly present, truly present, provides comfort. Because when you're truly present, kids tell you all sorts of things. Because you're attentive, you're engaged, you're cooperating, you're conversing, you are in them, in their lives, you're pressing in. It's not just being there, it's being there. So how do you provide comfort? Number one, first of all, two things. You listen and you speak. You listen. Bible says this. So be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to get angry. Right? Be quick to listen. Listen validates people. Listening validates people. Listening says your feelings, your thoughts, your opinions, your experiences, all your questions are important to me. Listening doesn't mean you agree. Listening means you value. And I'm learning how with my kids to tell, to when they speak, when they say stuff to me, to say to them, wow, instead of how. My son came to me the other day, he said, hey, daddy, I'm going to go get a job. And um, in my mind, I'm thinking, how in the world are you going to get a job when you have exams coming up, you have all this stuff to do with school and everything else? And so I wanted to say, well, that don't make any sense. How are you going to do that? Instead, I said, wow! That's awesome! Let me know how that works for you. And remember, if things get too tough, I'm right here. I'm learning how to say, tell me more about that. Instead of, guess what? I, I can tell you more about that. When my kids say something now. I wanted it. Like right here I'm going, I can give them the right counsel, the right direction. I have all kinds of things to say. And I just go, so tell me more. <laughs> how does that work? Because I realized I need to get engaged with them and allow them to express themselves because that's what presence does. It says, hey, I'm here for you and I'm here to comfort you. Here's the other thing though, not to want to listen, you got to speak. One, you got to speak the word, right? 
You have to speak the word. Uh, the Bible says this. This is Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 to 7. And these words I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. When you sit, where do you sit most? We sit at dinner. Talk to your kids about the word at dinner, or at breakfast, or over a meal. When you walk, would you walk? Man, we don't walk anymore, I drive. So when I'm driving them to school, speak them. You notice, this is not like, hey, have a family devotion. This is talking about your everyday life. When you walk, by the way, then when you lie down, when do I tell? When I'm putting my, my eight-year-old to bed, I'm talking to her about the word. And when you rise up, first thing in the morning, man, she comes downstairs and says, Cyan, have you done your devotions? Come on, baby, do your devotions now while I'm at breakfast for you. The word, the word, the word, speaking it. Here's the other thing you need to speak. Speak vision. Let them know what you see in them. Let them know what you see in them. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's vision. Here's the third thing. Speak life. Bible says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Don't tell your children they're idiots. Don't tell your, t- your children they'll amount to nothing. Speak life. Amen. Speak life. Speak life. Speak life. All right, so I wanted to give you, um, to kind of close, I want to give you some practical ways that I spend time with my kids and maybe this is stuff you can get. Maybe you have other ways. But I want to throw out some things to you real quick. I have eight ways that I spend time with my kids. And I don't have it done. I'm not perfect. Just, just, I'm just kind of telling you from my experience what I do. Number one, um, I make their presence a priority. So that means um, I will make sure I leave work by a certain time so I can get home. And when I get home, I make that, their presence a priority. I try and put away the phone. I'm not always good at that. And my, my, my eight-year-old feels like every time she walks into a room, even if I'm on my phone at that point, somehow I should stop what I'm doing and pay attention to her. So we kind of have a little thing we're working out here as to how that works. But make their presence a priority. Make their presence a priority. Number two, family night. I do a family night once a week. And um, we, we do movies with we go out, we go to the, we do stuff. We just, you know, we do popcorn. Last family night, we played a game. What was it called? What was it called? Gestures, right? And I recorded my kids playing the fool, but they don't want me to put it on social media, so can't do it. But gestures, and so we're playing, and everybody was acting and carrying on, and, and that was kind of, one on one times. I'll take my son out to breakfast some Saturday mornings, just to talk to him. Um, my, my daughter is always saying, Daddy, when we're going on a date, Right? I, I try and do one-on-one times. I take my little one to the park. Um, driving to school. When I'm dri- I drive my little one to school. I used to drive my older kids to school. And from time to time, I get a chance to do that. But during those times, those are times of connection for me. I'm not listening to the radio. I'm not trying to hear the news. I'm not trying to do I'm trying to engage. Someone say engage. Engage. Um, I intrude in their private spaces. I just walk into their room. Yeah. No doors locked in my, except mine. At certain times. But other than that, no, no rooms locked. So I just, I give them the two knock warning. 
and then I walk in. Right? So I, I intrude in their private spaces, talk to them. Um, Sunday dinners together. I have tried so hard to do dinner every day together. It doesn't work for me. I just can't. I can't. Yeah. But we have a couple of days of the week that we do dinners together. And so Sundays is one of them. Every Sunday, we're doing dinner together. Um, breakfast. I make breakfast for my family. So while I'm making breakfast, we're talking. We're talking. And, and here's the last thing. I get involved with their interests. I was my daughter's first acting coach. I was my son's first piano teacher. And I am my other daughter's first chess coach. And some of those things I was learning as I was doing it because they were interested. Being present is not just a physical thing. Being present is carrying your being into their world and connecting. And today as we close, here's what I want to do. I want to encourage you, if you're a dad here, that you choose today to be more present in their lives than ever before. That's why we gave you those cards. That's just a starter. That's why we gave you, we're going to give you some more material. That's just a starter. But be more present in their lives than you've ever been. Press into them. But secondly, I also want to talk to those who didn't have a father who was present. Bow your heads with me for a second. Huh? I just want you to not be distracted, but just hear my heart and open your heart. You may be in this room and think to yourself, man, my dad was not there for me the way he should have been. Whether you're a, a man or a woman, whether you're a teenager or even a grandparent. I want to ask you to do this. I want you to hear God saying to you, I want to heal that in your life. I want to be the father who is there for you, who will never leave you nor forsake you, who will always, always be there, who will comfort you when you need comfort, who will accept you when you need acceptance, who will discipline where you need discipline. But I want to be that father in your life. But you have to forgive your earthly father in order to receive all that I have for you. If that's you this morning, you say, you know what? I'm ready to just, I'm ready to release him. I'm ready to let him go. I'm ready to get healed. And I'm ready to move on in God. If that's you this morning, would you just put your hand up? I'm going to pray for you real quick. And your hand's going up all over. All over. All over. Amen. You can put them down. Pray this with me. I'm, I'm going to ask everyone to just join in with this prayer just so that we can help those who are praying this 
from their hearts. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you. You're a good father. And today, I recognize that I don't understand everything that took place with my father. But here's what I do know. In order for me to get healed, I have to release him. So today, I declare that he is forgiven. He is forgiven. He is forgiven. And I am free. Help me, Lord, to heal, to be whole, and to see you as a loving, good father. In Jesus' name, amen.